what are you doing to take care of your mental health, your emotional health, your stress management, all those things, um, which are critical because then that allows, once you have good balance in your, just your, your well-being, it allows you to use a sports phrase to see the field clearly. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. Our guest today holds a place near and dear to my heart and my personal development as a leader. After starting his career at Deloitte and NBC as a finance consultant and executive, he then spent the better part of two decades working for the NFL as an executive. Most of this work was spent transforming the NFL people function or the talent function, acting in both an executive and coaching capacity. Yeah, he's quite famous, though. He'll probably never admit to it. Um, and this journey has led him back to going back to school, better understanding the psychological part of being an exec coach. And he now has his own coaching firm, of which I'm lucky enough to be one of his clients, called Huddle, get it, Advisory. <laughs> Mike Smith, welcome to The Dirt. Jim, so glad to be here and excited to talk with you about leadership and personal growth. And this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So I'm, I'm sure people are are dying to know what was it like working in the NFL? It's a hard, it's a hard question to answer simply, quite honestly, uh, you know, for people at listening, uh, imagine working in your passion. So you're surrounded by uh, your lifetime really 24 seven. Uh, and like most things in life, there's a, a good side of that and a, a less good side of that because uh, I I never view the sport of football or sport generally sort of the same way, having worked in it for 16 seasons uh, than I did from a pure fan standpoint. But uh, it's everything that uh, that you'd expect it to be. Uh, you know, the the ability to work on a platform that impacts hundreds of millions of people uh, is just really, really powerful and something that, you know, I'll always, always cherish. That's awesome. And, and you, uh, you led all kinds of efforts in the NFL on the, on the people side, org design, process, tech, anything stand out from, from this work that um, you really hang your shingle on? Well, you mentioned a little bit in the opening, uh, which was uh, way too gracious. Thank you for that. Uh, is you know one of the things I'm most proud of is that you know when I was at the NFL, I worked in finance and was a lifetime finance uh, professional, uh, and then made the made the move to HR and talent uh, just as a function of me recognizing that my learning curve. Was flattening, and I know you and others listening. Sort of, there, everyone intuitively aspires to be a lifetime learner, and I've tried to walk that walk. Uh, and I made the move to HR because I wanted to help stand up a a people function and a talent function 
that thought about people and culture the same strategic way that the NFL thought about how they sold media rights or how they sell tickets or how they thought about the sport of football. Uh, and it was really an incredible journey. And I think probably the, the best advice I got uh, when I was there was uh, from Troy Vincent, who ran the football side. And a lot of the retired players that we had working at the NFL was, you know, to really look at the sport itself, because there were so many great lessons within the game that really applied to what corporate life uh, should be like at the NFL and, and all places generally. Uh, and, you know, the place I started with was coaching because, you know, the sport of football coaching was so endemic to our sport that uh, I really thought that the NFL should be best in class in terms of how they coached each other and how we really supported each other and helped everybody grow. And, you know, the the simple example, and some of this is a little bit dated because the world has certainly evolved in the last 10 plus years, but, you know, it used to be pretty common practice that, you know, when you had an employee conversation, it would be twice a year, you'd have one at the middle of the year and at the end of the year, and at the middle of the year, you what they did wrong three months ago or four months ago. Uh, and at the end of the year, you know, you just recap sort of some of the things that they did wrong, some things they did well. Uh, and that really didn't help anybody get better. It was sort of keeping score, but not really helping anybody grow. And the le- the anecdote I always used, and I know you're a Packers fan, is that, you know, when Aaron Rodgers throws uh, an interception, I know it's rare, but when he throws an interception uh, and comes to the sideline or throws a touchdown and goes to the sideline, uh, he gets the feedback right away, right away. You know, the, the coaches weren't waiting weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before they taught Aaron Rodgers to be a better quarterback. Uh, And Aaron Rodgers was thirsty for that knowledge, wanting it instantaneously when he came through the sideline. And I just thought to myself, you know, everybody should operate that way. You know, there's a lesson there around the immediacy, a growth mindset, a focus on personal development that we should all carry forth. And so over the course of many years, we really started to ingrain the lessons of football that started with coaching around how we coached our colleagues to just be the best versions of themselves. And to me, it was just a really, really powerful life life lesson that catapulted me to what I did after the NFL. Well, luckily, Aaron doesn't throw too many interceptions. So maybe more QBs should get that type of (laughs) that type of discussion. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that that is corporate life, right? It's it's uh, your annual reviews, your your regular performance reviews, and do you see a lot of that changing in the in the in a more iterative fashion in some of the other businesses that you're working with? Yeah, I th- I do think the world has evolved. You know, when I when I joined uh, the HR function at the early part of the 2010s, um, you know, it's hard to sort of really remember what. Uh, some of the day in the life cultural norms in corporate organizations were, you know, order of magnitude 10 years ago. So the world is different. And I do see a lot of that stuff changing. But the one thing uh, I do think that we're, we could certainly be doing a better job of is really helping our people and helping our leaders uh, be better coaches to their employees and have better, more substantive conversations. You know, uh, uh, an old person on my team used to say that, you know, the conversation shouldn't be telling me I got a C, it should all be about how do I get an A? And a lot of people, it's sort of a safe place to tell someone what they could have done differently, 
but not really telling them sort of what good looks like and what great looks like and really coaching them up for uh, their best performance. And so I do think uh, the immediacy of feedback and a lot of those things have certainly gotten a lot better, but uh, it is an aspirational journey we're on for all of us to be the best coaches we can possibly be. And also for all of us to be just open to the feedback, you know, uh, being really, really open and curious uh, to what I have done, what I need to do to become the best version of myself um, takes a certain type of resiliency that, um, you know, I still think we've got a long way to go on that front as well. Yeah. And so many companies are still only having that conversation once a year, right? Or a couple of times a year versus a regular conversation that doesn't lead to surprises <laughs> at the annual review, right? Yeah. Um, is is that something um is that something that you're seeing more of too is is more regular conversations the cadence of those conversations happening more often you know i do and i, I think there's it's probably helpful to sort of think about them you know in two ways because there's the you know the formal corporate or formal company uh mandated conversations that have to take place to check a a box somewhere but there's all the little ad hoc conversations that can and should be happening literally all the time. And I think, you know, leaders really uh, needing to make an attempt to get to know their people, to really understand when and how they receive feedback, you know, when is the right moment to deliver feedback, make sure that it's not all constructive. You know, we all do great things all the time and we should be celebrating and patting people on the back when we do something that we really, really like because those types of things end up reinforcing um, uh, behaviors. But, you know, it starts with really making an attempt to get to get to know people. Um, you know, uh, I think the world's best coaches and, you know, I'll sort of look to sports is that, you know, they really get to know, get to know their athletes. Um, you know, the, a lot of times, uh, there's this golden rule out there of, you know, treat people how you'd like to be treated. And I sort of put that a little bit, uh, I change it a little bit because to me, the golden rule is treat people how they want to be treated. You know, really, when you get to know them and treat them the way they want to be treated, that's what's going to be maximizing their performance. And, you know, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or any of the other, you know, amazing athletes that uh, we could talk about, you know, it starts with uh, trust and it starts with, you know, getting to know people, both the coach and the employee at a personal level so that, uh, you know, when you're having a conversation and you're getting feedback that uh, it's coming from a good place and it's something that uh, really can help you grow. So a lot of great, a lot of great lessons from, from big corporate that, that you're now taking into your clients. Um, any other key things that, um, you know, whether it be from the NFL or previously that, that are still very top of mind with the clients and the discussions that you have on a regular basis? Well, I think that the one of my favorite quotes, and I know you're a Jordan fan, uh, is Michael Jordan actually said that his greatest skill was that he was coachable, that he was a sponge and he was just aggressive to learn. And if we just use him as a, a proxy just for a second, you know, Michael Jordan, obviously a gifted athlete who uh, did all kinds of amazing things uh, at North Carolina and then early in his career, Chicago. But he had this incredible blend of humility and competitiveness that is, you combine that with innate talent is just such a, a, 
a, a secret weapon to for him to have. And you know, people lose sight of the fact that you know, obviously, uh, as he got older, some of the athleticism was lost as much as he cared about his body. And he was really focused on changing before he was forced to change. And so he learned a post-up game. He learned a turnaround mid-range jumper uh, midway through his career and really became just uh, an assassin from, from that part of the basketball court in a way and a part of the game that didn't exist early in his career. Uh, and I just think it's a powerful statement that a person is the pinnacle of what the best and the best looks like would actually say the best skill about himself was that he was coachable, that he was just this humble person that was always learning. And uh, I just think to myself, okay, well, that sounds like a really, really smart mindset for me to have and for me to try to work with uh, my clients on. And there, as I was sort of transitioned out of the NFL after 16 great seasons and was trying to do and trying to think about what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, believe it or not, my wife was, my wife is amazing. Uh, she actually encouraged me and I had some other coaches encouraged me to go take a walk about, go recharge the batteries, give myself permission to relax, which is always the hardest thing to do. And I went for a hiking, biking excursion out to Sedona uh, in the middle of Arizona for a week. Uh, and when I was out there, I really found the just the inner purpose around, you know, what do I want to do with the next act of my life? And that was to be, to really pay it forward to the next generation of leaders and teams. And that's sort of, I've been around uh, the the best of the best in terms of what uh, leadership is in the sports and entertainment space. Uh, there's a ton of lessons that I've learned talking to people close to the game and to the locker room. How can I take this lesson and give it to others? Um, and, you know, what, what came to me is this notion of um, you know really thinking about ourselves like we're athletes, and you know really we really all are athletes, and uh, the the world's best athletes, whether it's Jordan, Rogers, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, you name it, uh, they are incredible at making this linkage between their performance is directly linked to their training and their personal growth and development. So for them, it's all one big thing. It's not two different things, or I worry about training and personal development, you know, when I get time because I'm too busy with my job. No, it's all one thing. And so why wouldn't we all think that way? And, you know, there is, there is uh, certainly a crunch for time and, you know, leaders, there's never enough time to do that. But I would say, is there anything more important than working on yourself, working on your growth, working on your training? Uh, and when you sort of just reframe it through that lens, I just think there's so many things that come out of that, that creates the space for leaders uh, who are listening now and have uh, a list of priorities that are 20 deep and have people constantly asking for things, it creates a space for leaders to just reframe the conversation and reframe what their role is in an organization in a way that's going to best be serving their organization, best be serving their teams and best be serving themselves. Yeah. It's uh, that, that notion of training and development and also recovery, right? <laughs> like, you know, as, as founders and CEOs, like you're, you're, you're in, it's ingrained in you, especially as a founder, like just put on, put on the face all the time, push through, grind, grind, grind. Like that's what the community drives you towards. Um, and when you meet people at conferences, 
you know, how are you? Oh, great, great, great. Right. It's not, well, let me tell you about the obstacles that I'm overcoming. It's let me tell you about all the capital I raised. Or let me tell you about the big exit I just had. Right. And so it's like trains you to be um, almost superhuman in, in the way that you need to appear to the world. And one of the things you helped me with a ton, right, is like connecting back all the concepts you just brought up around training, around recovery, around development and making sure that it doesn't just need to be grind, grind, grind. It's okay to be human. You don't have to be superhuman. <laughs> Treat yourself more like a professional athlete, uh, less like people are encouraged to as founders. And that was yeah. that was something that um, I will never forget. And I talk to people about all the time because it is so true. As soon as you make that switch towards thinking of yourself as more human, you begin to think of your team as more human and your clients as more human. And it all cascades downhill. Um, and you don't really know the effect you're having until you make that switch. Yeah, I, you're you're spot on. And I still, uh, I don't know if you recall this, I still remember having a sleep conversation with you where we were discussing sort of how many hours of sleep are you getting and what, what sleep do I need? And, you know, Jim, the Superman, no, I only need four hours of sleep or I only need five hours of sleep. And uh, you know, there, there's a ton of science about this now. Like the, the, this isn't going to be something that we have to really debate or guess like we did way back in the day. And uh, it starts with, um, you know, founders, you and everyone listening to this, uh, they've got this um, achievement motivation gene that is on steroids. You know, I hate to use the word steroids in the context of sports and athletes, but your audience, the people listening to this, uh, we know how driven they are. We know they're driven to achieve challenging goals. We know that they're driven to stretch themselves in ways that uh, most people aren't. We know that they're challenging to others because they see this big goal out there that they want to achieve uh, because they want to accomplish big things in life. That's all great. And there, there will never be a client or a person where I try to dial that back because that's how great things are accomplished in life is by having people like you and your audience, you know, tackling those big problems. The question becomes, what's the best way to actually go about accomplishing those goals? And I, like you were saying, I think the first place you start is just your own physical, mental, emotional, it's sleep, exercise, diet, stress management, uh, balance of positive and negative forces in your life, all those things. And, you know, one of the things that I find satisfying, you know, when I start talking with clients is just sort of asking questions like that. And the realization that people just generally don't think about themselves that way. You're so, we're so task focused. We're so focused on our products and our teams and our uh, go-to-market strategy, all these things, some of the basics around uh, just your your body and your mind, um, uh, just people don't attend to. Uh, you know, one of my, I've, I've got like a thousand sports quotes that I, I, I always lean on. And one of them is from Ted Williams, the great Red Sox player, which is that, you know, 50% of hitting is above the shoulders. So it's, it's none of it is sort of uh, physical from his mind. It's, uh, you know, what are you doing to take care of your mental health, your emotional health, your stress management, all those things, um, which are critical because then that 
allows once you have good balance in your just your your well-being it allows you to use a sports phrase to see the field clearly because um you know being truly aware of yourself and your environment is tough like you know the uh we all know how busy we are and one of the things that uh sometimes leaders tend to forget especially sort of organizations they started and and still have a relatively you know small number of employees uh that are part of the team is that you know our vantage point of ourself and our organization is only coming from one direction and typically it's sort of at the top of the the mountain and uh does that really the best vantage point for seeing what's going on and it puts a premium on the questions we ask, the people we have around us, the data that we're asking for, the the environment of psychological safety and openness and transparency that we're creating that allows us to uh, really see, see the field. And that's sort of what I think about. So when I think about prepping and training like an athlete, it's recognizing that we've got this achievement motivation that everyone listening to this has. And because of that, what are we doing with our body and what are we doing with our own awareness that's allowing us to really, really maximize our training? Yeah. And I mean, I think you, you, you said it when you made the Ted Williams reference, right? 50% above the shoulders. And in our world, 50% is the, bi- the business and 50% is having a personal strategy, right? Like that's basically what you're saying is 50% business strategy, 50% personal strategy because otherwise that personal life that 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 way that you're straining yourself as an individual is going to flow to the business in every yeah. way and and yeah. I saw that firsthand right you helped me to see some of that and um and I I don't know if I could have done that without you um that's that's something that's a that's a gift and a talent and you know ultimately um my life has been changed from it. So <laughs> I encourage right. every founder that I meet to get an executive coach when they're ready for it, right? Because you have to be ready to make the change. You have to want to make the change. Um, and um, that's that's so well said on the on the on the personal strategy front. That's great. That's that's uh, it heartens me to hear that. So uh, I uh, I definitely appreciate the fact that you felt like you've got sort of what you needed to out of it. But your point around a person being ready for it, I think is, is also spot on that, you know, in my mind, you know, going back to the Michael Jordan quote that his best skill that he was, that he was coachable. What does coachable mean? Uh, and for me, it means there's gotta be a certain curiosity, you know, you gotta be sort of really open. Uh, you gotta be honest. Uh, and then you gotta be resilient because it's hard, you know, getting feedback or having a person really challenge you whether it's a close colleague or a coach or wherever the relationship is, um, it's hard work. And so I think, you know, getting a good sense around what's involved uh, is certainly important. Uh, but, you know, what I say, uh, you know, when people ask me, you know, what what is the benefit of coaching? And I always start with a place of, uh, you know, do you have a safe space to have a conversation? And, you know, leadership is a lonely job. You know, there's people constantly asking for things. Uh, there's great demands on your time. There's personal risk, personal financial risk, all these things. It's it's a grind. And, uh, you know, what I find that my clients find valuable, and I think other clients of other 
great coaches find valuable is that it's the one meeting on the calendar where the leader just doesn't need to be on. It's, you know, you can take the armor off. There's no one asking anything of you. There's no one judging you. It's the one place you can have just a safe, safe conversation and think out loud and explore possibilities and figure out, okay, there's maybe three options to go down. Let's really think through the pros and cons of these options. All right, which way are we going to go? And uh, what I like about that is uh, by taking the armor off, you know, you get to the most authentic version of, of whoever uh, the executive is, because, you know, there's a lot of talk around, uh, you know, authentic leadership and, you know, being an authentic leader. And when you really think about that, you know, what does that actually even mean of Mike and Jim with our, our spouses and, you know, fiancés, there's different versions with our partners, with our friends, with our immediate family, with our business customers, with our direct reports. I mean, they're, they're all getting different versions of us. So, you know, what is authentic? And, you know, to me, what I find is that over time with uh, trust being built step-by-step, uh, a really high quality coaching relationship gets at the most close to authentic version of a person that there is. And once that happens, then you're really able to make that transformative change in your life because you're ro- locked in on what my motivation is. You're locked in on, okay, am I taking the best care of myself uh, from a well-being standpoint, and am I seeing the field clearly around the way I perceive myself and the way others are perceiving me? And then we put together a game plan and we go try some stuff. Uh, you know, there's a fair amount of experimentation and practice that happens with coaching because um, you know, no two people are alike, no two cultures are alike, no two teams are alike, uh, and uh, you're going to need to try out some things in order to actually really, really grow. So I got to ask, um, yeah, on the same subject of personal growth, you're obviously an incredible coach. Um, I've witnessed that firsthand, but do you have a coach? I do, of course. Uh, most coaches have coaches. So I, I'm not sure that's a dirty secret, but it, it shouldn't be a secret. It's sort of a pretty well-known uh, phenomenon. Uh, and so I've got someone uh, who I met through Columbia University, which is where I got my cho- coaching chops outside uh, in New York City, I should say. Um, it's one of the preeminent uh, uh, institutions in the entire world for the science of human performance. So they have a coaching program that I, I learned a ton from and still keep in touch with people there. But I met my coach through there. Uh, he's incredibly different from me, uh, got a, a PhD in organizational psychology, um, and we're just different. And you know, I I'm a big believer in the value of diversity. We can have a whole podcast on that. But surrounding people that are different from you and are going to have you see things differently is just good. You know, oftentimes we fall into this trap of surrounding ourselves with people that uh, make us feel comfortable or we have chemistry with in quotes um, and. Oftentimes you arrive at decisions too quickly because you're just seeing the world the same way. And I always think it's better if you surround yourself with people that come from different backgrounds and different experiences, you're going to look at something from a real 360 perspective. Uh, and so my coach, um, you know, is just different and we have a, a great, great relationship. That's, that's, that's great. Um, you know, when I was in my coaching coach, coach seeking journey um, and I found you, um, 
you know, I, I found so many coaches that just had a business lens, right? They'd been an executive. I found so many coaches that just had the psychology lens. They'd, you know, been an academic um, in psychology and, and human behavior. Um, it wasn't, I didn't find too many that, that had both. And one of the things, you know, that I found special about you is you were, you were going to get that other half, right? Like you were, you were, you were getting your PhD in that, in that, in that science part of it. Right. Um, which is uh, a good augmentation of the business side and, and being, you know, in my chair, in my seat before, um, any other things that, that, um, you know, you really stress that, uh, really important to look for when someone is looking for a coach? Let me sort of share a story that sort of will get to sort of a point that I think just sort of underscores, I think, a lot of these things. You know, I've got uh, uh, a client uh, who is a rock star CEO of an organization, a rock star, like the intellect is off the charts, the the genuine good person is there, tireless worker, all the things you'd want to check a box on if you were aboard um, looking for someone. Uh, and the performance of the organization and the team was good, just not great. You know, there was sort of, there was something missing and um, uh, no one could put their finger on it. So uh, uh, I went in and collected a bunch of data from the executive, from the leadership team, from the board. Um, and one of the things you find is that, like I said before, around the leader doesn't have a great, uh, the perfect view from their vantage point. You know, when you collect data from leaders and teams and boards and others, um, none of them are hundred percent accurate. There's this sort of what's the reality is this, you know, the center of the Venn diagram of all those sources of data is what the true reality is. And when we pieced it together, what was really interesting is that the, the leader was trying to be such a servant leader for the organization and the team. Uh, he was actually unintentionally undermining the team in a lot of meetings by speaking first, offering his opinion too quickly, those types of things. And it wasn't until we really unpacked it that uh, what he intended to be and do was actually having the opposite effect uh, within the organization. And, uh, you know, there's a, a, a great um, quality improvement legend, this guy, Edward Deming. I don't know if you've heard of him or anybody in your audience or heard of him. He was one of the, the early uh, leaders in the, the quality movement and um, one of the, the early thinkers on systems thinking and really thinking about uh, our organizations through a systems thinking lens. Uh, and he has a quote, which I love, which is that uh, every system is perfectly designed to get the result that it gets. So if you need change results. You have to change the system that the results are, are happening in. And for this leader, the, the system side of this was that uh, there was this intent impact gap that he was having, which I think is just a powerful concept, which is that what he was intending to do uh, was having a different impact from his intention. And a lot of times, uh, all of us will have good intentions about doing things. And so we think oftentimes that our responsibility sometimes stops at our intention. Well, that didn't go well, but that's not why I intended. Or this person didn't take it the way that I wanted them to take it, but that's not what I intended. Uh, and what I, I always try to impart, especially the higher you go in the organization, that your responsibility doesn't stop at your intention. Your responsibility stops at what was the impact of your action. And when there's a gap between the impact and the intention, we got to close it. And so how we close it 
as you know uh goes through different means but for this leader it was you know an active intention of uh speaking last asking a lot of questions making uh putting a real priority on building capacity within his team to be making decisions not for him to be making the decisions and it was almost like a light switch where quarter after quarter after that uh results just got better and uh it was very heartening to see that when you have the right process, you have the right coachable leader, and you have the right system in place to accommodate a change like that, uh, the performance and the results are going to follow. And so it's it's stories like that, clients like that, that um, just you know fill me with so much gratitude that this is what my my life's work is now. Um, and you know, just to enjoy evangelizing it. Wow, I mean yeah, that's that that's incredible. Do you have do you have another example that is as as exciting as that one? That that maybe a little bit different of a use case of somebody on their journey. Of course, you put me on the spot, Jim. You know this is I'm always better as a coach putting other people on the spot than than me putting myself on the spot. But uh, I remember us talking about your podcasts that you uh, maybe were guesting or hosting. And one of the the things I remember uh, talking about is that when someone puts you in a spot with a question, just start talking and that gives your time yourself time to think, which is what's going on right now as I'm as I'm preparing my answer. But one of the the things uh, I also like uh, just sort of pulling a lesson from sport is, you know, how do you almost uh, shock yourself or trick yourself to uh, get back in the moment. Um, you know, there a, a, fair, a fairly common, um, you know, emotional intelligence gap is if people, you know, aren't aware, can't really manage their emotions and, you know, lose their cool or, you know, uh, fly off the handle or uh, just lose control in, in a moment with a team or with another party. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can we can start a conversation if that's what the issue is around, um, okay, well, what are the triggers? You know, what were you noticing? What were you feeling before that moment happened? And that might get somewhere. Um, but at some point, uh, there's going to be these moments where you're, you're in, a, in a room and you sort of feel like you're about to lose it. What do you do? And um, someone gave me a great lesson, uh, actually, from basketball as well, uh, which is funny because I'm a football guy, um, which is that. Uh, if you watch the NCAA tournament uh, that's going on now, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air, but we're in the final four weekend, at least as we record it. Um, oftentimes when things are are going po- poorly or when things need to get back in control, you'll see a point guard as they're taking the ball up court, you know, pound their fist on the court or, you know, do something to sort of just like wake everybody up. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do is figure out, okay, well, what's a corporate version of that? And so um I've I've worked with clients that uh you know I have them uh you know wear things to sort of you know just be a reminder of okay if I if I'm going to um if I need to really refocus um let me have a physical manifestation of what that is or have them put a picture of their family you know very close by in their office so that they can lock in on uh, a piece of gratitude in the moment to just recenter themselves uh because uh you know uh we're not perfect and progress is never going to be a straight line and so how do we if we're you know 
taking an off-ramp on our journey that we want to be on? How do we get right back on as quickly as possible? And there just might be a personal memento or some personal that will um, have us just recenter uh, in a moment where we're cool. Uh, and that's sort of just an example of the type of thing where, uh, again, I think there's just lessons that we can see from all around us that work in a variety of different places that are translatable. And so if we're open to uh, that that learning journey uh, and being humble around what it could be, um, you know, performance is definitely going to improve. Well, one of my gaps in peak performance that, that you helped me through was was trusting the team, right? Like that was a huge one for me and I, I'm nowhere near perfect at it, but um, the journey over the last couple of years in trusting the team has been a, a huge realization for me. I know a lot of other founders do the same thing as they grow beyond themselves or a couple other people, right? Um, and, and you need to begin trusting the team more and more because you can't do everything or can't keep an eye on everything yourself. Um, so that is one use case that you tremendously <laughs> helped help me push through. Um, and I think a lesson that a lot of founders can can learn from. One of the one of the templates or tools that you gave me in, in looking at that lens was um forget exactly what it was called, but the trust diagram is kind of how I refer to it. Right. Um, do you mind just talking a little bit about that trust diagram and and how you leverage that in your toolkit? Yeah. Uh Thanks for thanks for that. And I think it's helpful because it's it's probably inarguable that trust is the foundation of relationships. And trust is so foundational in interpersonal relationships, in team relationships, in organizational culture. But it's also a word that feels a little amorphous, right? Like uh, people probably define it a little bit differently. Um, it's one of those where you probably know it if you don't, if you you know it, if you see it and no, you don't have it when you don't see it. But I do think that it's important to talk about that trust is a very binary thing that you don't trust someone a little bit. Uh, you either trust them or you don't. And what uh, I share with you is something that I, I I'm not going to take credit for, uh, and, and I'm not going to, I don't want to even uh, reference where I think it came from in case I get it wrong, but it's uh, it's effectively like an organizational chart where you would see you know names and boxes and titles that we've all come across, but it's around trust. And it effectively has two branches off the, the tree of, uh, is it character related or competence related? So, you know, we've all had people we trust or didn't trust because we've got some character concerns around integrity or honesty or transparency. Uh, but we've also lacked trust with people sometimes because of competence things. So they might be the most honest, great human being, but they don't deliver results or they don't have the skills or I can't rely on them for a deadline because um, they're ineffective at uh, you know ultimately executing. Um, so that's two different, very different types of ways that trust are formed or trust is broken. And what I like about that tool is it just really acts as a diagnostic where if if someone listening to this uh, is having some trust issues with a member of their team or a colleague, it allows them just to, to point to where is the root cause. Um, because one of the things that I'd like to stress is, you know, we have to cut through 
the BS as quickly as possible in most situations because you know founders uh, they need to operate with a ton of speed and a ton of agility and we don't have time to not get to the answer quickly and so a tool like that helps really diagnose what is the root cause of the trust issue and then that then shifts to another uh, tool or many tools around, okay, what's the right way to approach a really tricky conversation potentially uh, with your engineering team or your sales team or your product team around uh, how do we improve trust and really get get the organization moving in the right direction again. So I, I love it as a tool. I'm a big believer in trust being the foundation of everything. Um, and, you know, I there was a, another acronym that I, I stole from another consulting firm probably a decade ago, which is TRIP, which is that uh, trust breeds risk-taking. Risk-taking is what breeds innovation, and innovation what is ultimately what is progress and profitability. Uh, and so it all starts with trust. And the quickest way that we can learn uh, where trust issues start and how do we solve, um, the better off you know your founders are going to be. Well, we're going to share a link to that trust diagram in, in the show notes, because I, I think uh, a lot of people will get a lot of... Uh, uh, interesting uh, insights out of the way that trust flows and, and the way that that um, can be changed over time um, to uh, to ultimately reflect being a more trusting leader. Um, and any any other um, templates or tools that that you really lean on um, as part of your methodology? With you know, obviously every client's a little bit different, every situation's a little bit different. But any ones that are that are really core that people might want to you take a look at on their own time? Uh, yeah, one, um, there's two. Uh, one uh, has a name, one sort of less of a name. Um, you know, one that I've uh, I've certainly shared with uh, many clients at this point, I actually learned uh, at my doctoral program at Vanderbilt that I'm in now is called the ladder of inference. And what it is, is a way to really look uh, and just make sure you're seeing the field clearly. And if you think you are, it gives you tools around ways to engage in a conversation with someone to make sure that you are clearly letting them know what your point of view is, and then clearly seeking their feedback on your point of view. So you can be diagnosing where a disconnect or a lack of alignment comes from. So uh, I think we've we've all come into situations where um, there's someone we're close with, whether it's a member of our team or a co-founder or a member of our board, where we're just not seeing eye to eye. And we might be talking past each other. Uh, there might be... Um, uh, it getting to the point where it, it feels personal and, um, you know, none of this stuff really should be personal. It's business. We all got into business with each other for a reason. Uh, and what I encourage people to do, it's a three-step process around first, uh, checking your own, uh, mindset through reflection, you know, what biases, what, what data am I not seeing? You know, am I seeing this clearly? What, take my own emotional temperature, you know, reflection is the first step. The second is on advocacy, where how do I make sure that I'm articulating my point of view in a way that is objective, not subjective. And then three is how am I asking the right questions so that I'm getting objective feedback on my objective observation. Uh, and it becomes a 
a constant uh, a constant hand to hand combat sometimes around making sure there's alignment on my advocacy and my inquiry. Okay, we're aligned. Okay, where are we not aligned? And keep moving from there. Uh, and so that that I find is an effective tool. Um, so uh, we can certainly uh, make reference to the ladder of inference, which um, uh, I've had a lot of success with. And then you know the last thing I'll just share, which I've become a big fan of now, is uh, just holding ourselves accountable through some form of nighttime daily activity. Uh, and so whether that's journaling for folks, whether that's making uh, real intentions linked to actions for the next day, whether that's you know active questioning of myself of you know did I do my best to do X or Y today, um, you know. Doing that at the end of the day, I think it's just a very valuable exercise to uh, just be able to, um, you know, be intentional around how we go about our business. And, you know, I think it's got an added benefit of unloading what's floating around in our working memory right then and is going to help us sleep a little bit. But again, that maybe we'll save that for another podcast. But I think the second thing I'd say is, uh, you know, uh, to the extent that the people in this audience, you know, don't have a regular pre-bed nighttime ritual. Uh, Thing, uh that's a daily reflection i think you'll find will do wonders all about finding the system that works for you that's great and um you know thank you for for getting down in the dirt and the depth of your story and and providing so many awesome uh resources and and thoughts and insights here for everyone at this at this point in the show we uh we we typically close off with what we call founder five so it's questions surrounding growth, kind of my opportunity to be Steve Harvey, if you will, in a quick fire <laughs> family okay. mentality. So um, first question is, um, what is the top metric or measure that you're relentlessly focused on? You know, I think for me and where I am with my business now, uh, I love looking at renewal rate uh, because, uh, you know, I, I, if I have a client that is interested in renewing with me, then they clearly saw value and the organization saw value. And to me, that's what's most satisfying is trying to help person help a person go from where they are to where they want to be. And uh, if they find themselves moving in the right direction and are interested in renewing, um, then I find that metric to be uh, really the most satisfying metric to me. And fortunately for my, for my business now, uh, that's something that, uh, is trending in the right direction. That's a great one. That's a great one. Um, top tip for growth stage founders like you. I think probably what we talked about around, uh, take the time to look inward, uh, and focus on your own well-being, your motivation and, your self-awareness. Uh, and, you know, what data do I have? What resources do I have? How do I know that I'm seeing the field as clearly as I possibly can? That would be the the advice I would give. Awesome. Uh, favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, a book I love uh, is by an executive coach uh, who I really respect called The Trillion Dollar Coach. So, um, uh, Bill Mitchell was an old football coach, ended up becoming uh, uh, just uh, an amazing legend in the coaching world, uh, coaching uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, 
ton of practical tips around uh, leadership challenges, team challenges, and the advice that he gave uh, to really guide leaders uh, to the best versions of themselves. That is a good one. And Mike actually also has a podcast called Out of Our League, right? I do. I do. (laughs) Uh, Because everyone needs a podcast these days. Uh, the this is a, a fun uh, but also informative uh, podcast where uh, myself and a formal NFL, former NFL colleague um, give uh, the inside, I won't say inside dirt because I don't want to use your line, but give uh, the inside story about what people are reading about in the sports world from a lens of uh, two former league executives. So uh, the feedback so far has been really quite good and it's a lot of fun. It's awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, fourth question. What actor would play you in a movie? You know, my head goes to Daniel Day-Lewis only because he can play literally everybody under the sun. Uh, and I sort of would be interested to see what what he does with, you know, uh, a bald head and glasses and sort of uh, the gray beard I got. So uh, I know he'll do a great job. So I'll go with him. That's awesome. Our our friend, uh, our friend Chuck in episode in episode 12 said, um, Matthew McConaughey's uh, uncle, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> I didn't know he was famous, but I'm sure he's a great actor. Yeah, of course. He's, everyone that knows Matthew is uh, is famous, I guess. <laughs> um, fi- and finally, uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography? That's a great question. That is a great question. I hope your editors will work to fill in the gap on uh, the, the pregnant pause here. Um, they would have, but now it's probably even more exciting with, 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 with this conversation as the pause. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I'd probably pay it forward. You know, it's a little bit of a cliche, uh, obviously, but from a mindset or just from a philosophy standpoint, um, that's what I'm about now. So, uh, I think, uh, if, if we as a society spent more time and we as you know corporate leaders leadership all these places spent more time focused on how do we take the gifts and the privileges and the benefits we have and pay it forward to the next generation uh imagine how much better off we'll be that's terrific i, I love it all right well you've given uh so much to our listeners today so time for a little bit of self promotion um how can those listening help you or help Huddle Advisory? Well, people, if they are interested in having uh, a leadership or a coaching conversation, uh, can find me on LinkedIn or the website Huddle Advisory. Uh, and if you're a sports fan and interested in hearing about uh, the inner workings of uh, sports and media, uh, check out Out of Our League. Awesome. And if you want a glaring reference, if you haven't already gotten it already from this episode or episode 12, who's another client of Mike's, um, give me a ring. I will give you the best recommendation there is. So uh, on that note, Mike, um, you know, just closing us off, how can how can listeners get in touch with you? But is it is it really just that email or LinkedIn better for you? Um, any other ways that they might be able to reach you? Yeah, I think uh, through my website and through LinkedIn would be the the most direct access uh, for for your audience, for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks again for sharing today. And it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Mike. This was fun. Thanks so much, Jim. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, 
go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.